Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Venture Games Podcast. I'm Chris Quaidu, and today I'm excited to introduce my next guest, John Pan, Strategic Planning and Operations Lead at Facebook Gaming. How's it going, John? It's going great. Uh, thank you for inviting me to be here. Sure. Thanks for, for being a guest. So to kick things off, I would love to just dive into your professional background. Sure. I've had a, you know, I've tried, I've, I've been in many industries. I, I started off in the military, actually, in the Army, where I served as an infantry officer. And after I was done with my five years of military service, I got into consulting for financial services firms, which seems kind of random, but I wanted to get a job in New York, which is mm -hmm. where I was from. I did that for about two years and then uh, went to get my MBA at NYU. That's when I had another career switch, thinking about um, where to go next. And uh, I went into gaming, luckily, because it's always been a passion in my life. But I, I had no idea, you know, back back then that there were even jobs in gaming. <laughs> you know, I was just a consumer. I, I had no idea about the whole business of it. And, you know, just even getting my summer internship was a funny story because, not many gaming companies, uh, you know, game developers or publishers even had MBA internships. So you really have to do what we call off-campus recruiting at MBA mm -hmm. programs. And what I did was, once again, I think this is also like a series of like luck and you making your own luck. But across the street from 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 NYU, there was a startup called Live Gamer, mm -hmm. and they were essentially doing um, payments. For other gaming companies and that was that was the closest i could get to gaming right i had no idea gaming just had so many different facets i thought it was all like game design but mm -hmm. it's the best i could do was right across the street so i started working there and uh when i was looking for opportunities during my summer internship i looked at the typical stuff like you know amazon facebook mm -hmm. microsoft and then um I, I just started googling you know pm internships and i found mm -hmm. one at riot games and uh, it was funny because during my first phone screen, my interviewer told me to get level 30 in League of Legends before my <laughs> next, before my next, like the second round interview. So that just took me three months because it takes a while to, <laughs> to level up in that game. And uh, then I really got into esports a bit. So, so I, worked, I worked two years as a product manager at Riot Games. And that was, uh, that, was that was a really fun experience because you know, I guess I was lucky. It was like first startup. It was like, it's a wildly successful startup. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, most people's experience of startups is like probably negative to neutral. This was yeah. just like crazy hyper growth. <laughs> so, so it was super fun. And um, anyways, so what Riot, Riot used to do, which was super awesome of them was they flew the entire company out so at the time, I don't know, maybe it was like 2,000 people to uh, South Korea to wow. attend Worlds. I think it was like 2014 Worlds. And I, went, and I attended the previous Worlds and they were in LA and they were like awesome, but mm -hmm. just Koreans love esports. <laughs> and when I was there, I was like, oh my God, like this is a, this is a thing and I need to get in on this. So I, I left right to start my own esports team, which kind of took uh, took a while to, to raise capital because yeah. uh, I, I basically no one knew who I was and mm -hmm. I didn't know that that was that important. I was just banking on like MBA plus 
uh, working at Riot. So that was a complete noob. I had to learn how to sell for six months and, and until I got good. And then I raised a seed round for my startup uh, esports team. That didn't last that long. We, we, we lasted for a year and we returned to capital to our investor because our esports team was just burning so much capital. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of esports teams today do the same thing. It's just, a, it's a hard business to be in. Um, then I joined Amazon or actually I did, I worked for a VC for roughly a year. And then I joined Amazon as head of esports. Uh, then I essentially at Amazon, I had a complete opposite experience I had at Riot because that was you know, the number one game at the time, and it's still probably top three game in terms of uh, Mao. And at Amazon, I learned kind of how hard it was, like basically to fail, right? There's a lot more, there was a lot more failure at Amazon in terms of their game efforts. And and I hope, uh, and I wish them well, I think in August, they've got a couple games finally coming out. Uh, and then my last role at Amazon was actually on a team for Amazon Kids. That was also fascinating because, uh, I got a chance to make TV shows and manage a mobile game team. Uh, I've, I've always focused on PC, never mobile. So that helped round out my experience. And then I just joined Facebook a couple months ago. Awesome. So, you know, within the gaming industry, you know, esports, I think for a while was considered like a pretty hot area for investment. You know, a lot of people wanted to get into it. And, you know, you kind of alluded to, you know, yourself getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's cooled down significantly, right? And yes. you know, it's just hit another big headwind uh, recently with COVID, right? So, just generally, how do you think the esports landscape is going to play out uh, in the U.S. in the coming years? And then, from an investment standpoint, do you think it's going to uh, heat up again at any any point in the near future? I think. Well, first of all, I have a funny story. Um, I, you know, in 2014, there was actually relatively few people talking about the business of esports. Mm-hmm. And I found, and that was like my niche and I found it. And it, it like, I mean, I had like the top VC firms reach out to me, which was super <laughs> awesome. It was like, literally like the best from every city. It was like Union Square Ventures, like Upfront and then like Sequoia. So, mm-hmm. um, it was fun to even have that moment to see like how VCs operate because they're like, they're really on the cutting edge of stuff. So they'll, they'll, they'll find out, they'll come reach out to you. Um, but anyways, back to your question. I think what we thought was the thesis back in 2014 was that esports is going to replace, let's say lower, t- lower viewership sports like hockey. And therefore the teams would be potentially more valuable than um, than not just hockey teams, but even like NFL teams. Yeah. So the, the analogy people always used to give was, I forgot, but there, like almost every owner, there's some owner who bought a team for X dollars, X million in 1980, and now it's, you know, a billion dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it's basically essentially any NFL franchise. And I think, honestly, you still kind of hear that today from time to time. You still, you still hear it, but that's the point because, I mean, that's the problem because... Right. Essentially, what they're saying is the only viable business model in esports is the um, the esports team. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think what has made venture super successful is software. Mm-hmm. So the question is, where are the esports software companies? And and, and you know, I never used to think about it this way because I thought, oh yeah, you know, you're entrepreneur to go figure it out, but. 
you do have to think about like strategy and 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 just the market dynamics. And in my opinion, it's hard to build an esports software business because the publishers own the IP and mm-hmm. all the rights to anything you could possibly ever want to do. So uh, you're you're really, I mean, if anything, the tr- if you want to do like an esports startup, you have to work at like a Riot Games, Blizzard, or maybe EA. That's my opinion because I've just seen so many esports software companies come and go. Yeah, I'm not even sure if there was anything that had like a po- let's say a positive exit is 1.5x investment. I- I'm not even sure if there even ever was one. Um, that's like let's say above uh you know five million. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was a couple like acquirers. Um, but but I have no idea if you know there there were some maybe maybe like Mixer. Mixer was uh, I forget the original name of the company. I think it wasn't Mixer or something else. Uh, I think they probably did pretty good because that was like Microsoft buying their own live streaming platform. Right. But then again, Mixer got shut down. So yeah. Um, there there's like a whole graveyard of of, of esports startups. And today, yeah. my biggest worry, and you and you can see it today, even with all the, with all the teams, the costs are just so great. Like, and look, good good for players. But I think the mm-hmm. macro picture is, it's you know, it's a great time to be a creator, um, whether you are writing TV shows or or live game streaming, because everyone is well capitalized and, and they have to fight for the creator and, yeah. and they get some they get wild deals. So the team, I mean, the team is, and, and honestly, I feel like a team is like an agency. Mm-hmm. So what can I mean? The, they have the brand, which is good, but only a few teams have great brands, like 100 Thieves. Yeah. Uh, and then you can sell some merch, great. But you guys sell a lot of merch. Like merch is a merch is a hard business, and I learned that at, at Amazon. So, and merch isn't really like a VC play, in my opinion. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, to, today I think a lot of the you know professional gamers who are really doing well are more on the casual and like entertainment side. You know, I I, I look at them more like uh, YouTube creators, right? Yes. Whereas you know, it's not necessarily the people who are absolutely crushing in games that are the highest paid. And, you know, a thesis of mine has been that this gap is going to close. And just like in traditional sports, you know, the best athletes tend to get paid the most. Um, And so, you know, I I would think over time, this would shift. Is this something that you've thought about? I'm just curious. Like, do you think that that's going to be the case over time? Um, Well, I think... There's like multiple worlds that I've seen. I think it, it really, there is really like a whole story about like, if we're just talking about, well, it's like, it's like North America versus like Asia yeah. or like North America, Western Europe. Yeah. So in Asia, as far as I understand, the very best get paid a lot more, mm-hmm. more than our like creators here. Yeah. Um, uh, to be a pro player and then you know we had some i think breaking you know like a dollar amount breaking deals in north mm-hmm. america to sign asian players too that's the difference because i think the pro players they get a contract it's kind of like you know guarantee payment right. depending on whatever the details of the contract are um and i think the next evolution maybe what you're alluding to is you know i'm trying to like figure out are, are there any like major esports players that like graduated into a con like a it's like a youtuber for a back of lack of a better word yeah so i mean 
you could say ninja maybe because ninja actually like way way back in the day was a competitive halo player and he was never the best but he was definitely in the conversation like he was probably in the top i don't know call it 30 ish halo players and then he saw you know what fortnite was doing and you know obviously the rest is history yeah and i and i think he is the biggest mainstream game streamer yeah his brand is definitely more broader appeal mm-hmm. i think he probably took a hit when he uh did the switch to mixer same yeah. thing happened to nation with mlg yeah i don't know the exact numbers but uh you know with anything that doesn't work out or fails you you, you take a hit mm-hmm. so um i think he still has the best potential because he he just like looks super on brand uh, yeah. all the time and i could see how yeah, maybe he's the first person who truly bridges both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it's a good it's a good question because I don't think I've 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 I can think of anyone who really is truly like a like a big influencer in mainstream while still you know doing um, well in live game streaming. I never was like super into like the Fortnite scene, you know, but mm-hmm. people who I've talked to who are more into the Fortnite scene, you know, said that he he was never like the best fortnite player you know he was obviously very 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 good um but he was reportedly the highest paid you know yeah oh and then i guess your point is are we going to get to get into this world where the the best the the highest performing people will get paid the most i think i think no i think no for this example of ninja i think he just Mm -hmm. entered he's very just entertaining yeah and he pulls a good audience because there's tons of there's tons of great like probably better Fortnite players or any other game players mm-hmm. that probably have like you know ten viewers. I think I think it's it's more over indexed on brand and entertainment. But there is this like minimum skill level too. Like I mean, he's still really good. Him yeah. and all the top streamers they they still like you know they they win a lot actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is super surprising. Mm-hmm. All right, now shifting gears. I know you are also an esports instructor um what is that like like what, what does that role actually entail sure so i've been thinking a lot about this um i was always like hey what, what is this there's a lot of hubbub you know in the last five months about cohort based classes mm-hmm. or courses and, and that's essentially what we have um at uc irvine it's a, it's a cohort based class on esports taught remotely um by someone without a phd mm-hmm. And I just never thought that was like a unique thing. It just, it, you know, it was something that was offered. And anyways, so what I do is when we started in 2017, we had four uh, or three classes and now we have four, mm-hmm. you know, and that, I think we're going to five. So uh, for a student, if they complete, I think four of the classes, they get like an esports certificate, which I know there was a whole meme against that as of like three months ago or two months ago when another entity came out and wanted to offer like an esports certificate mm-hmm. uh, they have to take a test to get what's been interesting for me is that uh you know i kind of I've, I've kind of even seen it like understanding like the business and market is so cool right mm-hmm. because back in back in 2017 2018 i had like full classes like 38 students super busy and now it's kind of like trickled out. Like some some classes, I even have just like five students, and I think that's a sign of like the market, right? It's not just, you know, it's kind of like investment. It's like opportunities. It's, yeah, like like there's just so many aspects of the market. It could be education, it could be business, it could be VC. Like it, 
they kind of mirror each other, which is mm -hmm. super interesting and cool. So I've been trying to pivot the class more to just broader gaming, live streaming, and esports. Uh, because esports alone, even though it's huge, it kind of it's like a it's like a big niche, mm -hmm. right? Still, still like way more fans than even some certain sports, but for some reason has not caught on uh, with advertisers, in my, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And is a goal to actually prepare people who take the class to work in the industry, either as like a streamer or a competitor or someone else in the industry? Oh, no. Uh, well, actually, it's funny because UC Irvine does have, they have two programs. One is like the collegiate collegiate program where you're, you're playing on their uh, collegiate team and they mm -hmm. compete and they do really well in a variety of games. The esports management courses slash certificate is more of in their department of continuing education and the goal is for you to kind of interesting so like so i teach a class called esports communication mm -hmm. um the bulk of it is really just about communication but then how you do it in an esports sense mm -hmm. so i would say the high level goal would be for people to understand what it would be like to work in gaming slash esports uh some people have used that as a way to get their foot in the door uh like an internship or like a coordinator type role and and then you know the rest is history they, they slowly you know work their way up from there got it all right so i wanted to uh circle back to your time at riot mm -hmm. um you know because the, the company now is just you know on top of the world as far as Gaming, right. um, but you know, to your point, back then they were still very successful, but very, very rapidly growing. Uh, you know, even more so than today. And so, what were some of the major like projects that you actually worked on while you were there? Sure. So, first, I'll talk about the theme. What I learned from working at like a hyper growth startup, mm -hmm. I think you really just have to keep an open mind and grab on the rocket ship for dear life. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, well, I'll talk about what I worked on. Yeah. What I and then what I thought about it then, what I think about it now. Awesome. So what I worked on, I started off as, um, I started off supposedly working in international publishing. <laughs> that was my offer. Uh, five days before I joined, my manager moved to China, <laughs> or to open up our our China office in mm -hmm. Hong Kong, actually. So he's like, okay, you got to find a new team. So, which is the, you know, the nature of startups. <laughs> yeah. Then I joined the live services team, um, which is a team responsible for keeping the, the, the business up, um, or the servers up. Mm -hmm. And I also dabbled in, like I was leading our internship program for a while. And uh, I was helping a lot out on recruiting. And then I started like a leadership development like team there. So none of that seems tied together because it wasn't. And uh, I, you know, that was the one, that was my first lesson about startup, which is you just try to help out wherever you can. I think my issue was I was too hung up on trying to stick in my job family, mm -hmm. which was product management. But frankly, you know, startups aren't great at teaching you these things. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't have the fundamentals anyways, not until I went to Amazon. So, uh, so yeah, I worked, I worked on a variety, variety of, uh, of different projects there. And I think, um, in a weird way, what got me into the 
esports instructor role is that I I really enjoy working with uh, younger folks. So mm-hmm. you know when you manage when I'm you know at that time same thing right like in twenty. Uh, 15, 2016, like our internship program was more selective than Goldman Sachs. Oh, and once again, back then people even wanted to go to Goldman Sachs. Not, mm-hmm. not much today, right? A lot of things change in five or 10, you know, yeah. five, five, to, five to eight years, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and then I actually, I, I made a part of my life where I, I want to create mechanisms where I can stay in touch with younger people. Mm-hmm. So even with UC, the, the UCI class, so it's usually people, I mean, there's a wide range of attendees. Mm-hmm. There are even some high school graduates there too. Because I always want to ask them, like, what, what game are you playing? Yeah. Because they know more than I, I ever will in terms of like a new thing. I right. just, I'm just still playing League of Legends. That's my, that's a different problem <laughs> I have. Um, but uh, even something as simple as like Snapchat. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a boomer, so I don't, I don't use Snapchat. <laughs> but when, when, when Snap was huge in LA and, you know, I was walking down Venice Beach and saw their office, there was like so much hype. And, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I worked with some of my, or I learned from some of my younger peers on like, hey, wh- why do you care? Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I do not get it. So, uh, so that's, that's what I learned from Riot. And th- there's one of the lessons I learned from Riot. I've learned a lot from, from yeah. Riot. And, and that's something I've been trying to keep, keep a lot with. Yeah, another uh, good example too is actually Roblox. Like I think yeah. most older, not even older people, right? Most people who either are not, you know, Gen Z or younger mm-hmm. or don't have kids, you know, really before, you know, the last call it year or so where the company really started taking off and, you know, now it's a huge publicly traded company. Um, I think most people didn't even know what Roblox was, you know, unless they had kids or were a kid. You are absolutely right. The only reason I knew about Roblox was because I worked on Amazon Kids Team. Mm-hmm. And then um, I could see that, you know, that was a game that a lot of our customers were interested in. So, uh, and I started, and actually that's still, another, I started playing it, trying to understand why kids will like it. Frankly, I still don't understand, <laughs> um, but, but clearly it's not about the, it's not about the, the graphics. Uh, maybe not even about the gameplay. It's like some, some social element, uh, I hate to say it, metaverse aspect to it. Yeah. So, uh, and, and the crazy thing is, it's getting even bigger more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like somehow, right? And the company started like ten plus years ago. So yeah. Uh, part of me has always even thought about, hey, maybe I should do like a you know Roblox game development on the side, just because it's big, but it's still kind of like a niche. People mm-hmm. like people talked about the IPO just because they saw the dollar amount, but yeah. I don't think they truly understand. I think that the lot in their S1, there's something along the lines of like 40 or more than 50% of the user base is younger than 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's another area I really wanna uh, add to my kind of portfolio of skills because I see this happening and I hope I'm right in five years when I check out this podcast, but- yeah. There's something here. Like I think Epic Games did something with Fortnite in in a way of it. It truly was, in my opinion, the the, the first AAA game in in recent memory or mm-hmm. in the last ten years that a big team base played, and and actually people thought Fortnite was like cool, mm-hmm. right? I think 
when people think about like Overwatch or League of Legends, it's like a fun game to play and it's yeah. cool as well, but not in terms of like, it's so cool. Like every kid talked about it at school mm-hmm. and, and want to dress up as characters. It coincided with Ninja's Rise, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So uh, but anyways, the next phase to that, I think, is younger than 13. Mm-hmm. So the, the future, be- and actually when you think about it, what are the top games by monthly active users? I believe it is still League of Legends, Minecraft, Roblox. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are the top three, uh, which which tells you something uh, because because Minecraft is essentially what a lot of people in Roblox graduate into. I yep. think it's a, it's like a generally like nine to fourteen year old uh, male type game. Mm-hmm. Um, so and then, and then League of Legends is like general audience, usually older. All right, and then going to your time at uh, Amazon, specifically on the games side, uh, what are some of the things that you worked on or or got exposed to? So I was the head of community and esports for a title that was canceled called Breakaway, and then I also worked on the title New World, which is coming out later this year. The main things I learned were just how hard it is to create new game IP. I was frankly spoiled. If anything, I wish I worked at Amazon first and then Riot because I don't think I truly appreciated what level of success Riot was able to achieve. Um, let's just say it's really, really hard just to even be mediocre in mm-hmm. games. Or actually, I'll put this another way. Mediocre doesn't even cut it. You're either top 10 or you're nothing mm-hmm. um, with these like network effects uh, of these multiplayer games. So I learned a lot about how building games is it's it's an art and a science and then the art part is you know can big tech companies uh manage the creation of art that's what i learned mm-hmm. and i think a lot of them struggle with it um let's just look at the results right we don't even have to talk about the details look at the results so i think my prediction here which is something i say i'm going to write about but i always <laughs> don't write about it because i'm lazy is Netflix, because Netflix has demonstrated that they can manage creatives. Mm-hmm. Also, it's just an interesting time for Netflix. Netflix just announced that they launched a store. So Netflix is going to become like Amazon um, faster than Amazon overtakes Netflix. I mean, Prime Video is good, but Prime Video does not, it, no one would say it's probably like maybe second or third place right now, right? Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating how they like all these tech companies kind of like get into each other's businesses. Um, but anyways, back to back to Amazon. So I learned I learned about uh, how publishing teams work with dev teams. It's like the age old battle. Like, how do you you know dev teams want to take as much time as possible? They kind of never want to. I'm over you know I'm over simplified. Like they kind of don't want to ship until it's perfect. Publishing teams have, you know, they're responsible for like, uh, like deadlines, goals, things like that. So there's this tension between publishing and, and development. Actually, if anything, maybe maybe um, the development side is right because a lot of the games you see that come out, they really are just super polished. Like if you're not po- like being polished is like a minimum to 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 do anything. Um, on the other hand, you see games like Melheim come out and. I think the, they, they had some bugs and it wasn't like, it was good, but it wasn't like super polished. Mm-hmm. It was just fun. So maybe like that, that's the thing, like how do you measure fun and 
you know, that's a whole another one hour debate, but making fun, managing fun, I think that is, you know, that's like an art and a science. And uh, I really respect people who can do it because it's tough. And, and, and it's great to see it from both ends, right? Like how hard is it to get anything off the ground versus the most successful game Yeah, at some period of time? Okay, and then as a follow-up, putting, just for a second, putting Facebook aside, yeah. <laughs> um, but do you predict that, or do you foresee one of these big tech companies who is flirting with or very heavily exploring gaming to become a major player in the game space. And I mean, you know, really, really yeah. major. So let's cover each company um, besides Facebook. So mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I think when we look at like Fang, look at Fang plus plus uh, Microsoft. First of all, well, Microsoft's already there. Microsoft's already, yeah, there. already there. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, people don't seem to, they're like, a, they're like a, the underdog, mm-hmm. but Game Pass is absolutely crushing it. It isn't that what many of the big tech firms want, wanted, like high quality games that mm-hmm. they can sell a subscription to. Well, the problem is Microsoft acquired a lot of studios and they had decades of experience with first party development and publishing. Um, the other companies just, I think the other companies, frankly, were a little bit too like arrogant that they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, you know, it's always like build or buy. And you know, you could spend billions of dollars uh, building and get nothing or, 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 or just buy. So my prediction is, first of all, who's even going to potentially get into game development? Well, it's still Amazon. Google, Google has, as of now, given up on that. Mm-hmm. Um, potentially Netflix, because I heard they're starting up spinning up a, a game effort. Mm-hmm. So... Frankly, I haven't heard of Netflix acquiring any company. So maybe like in their DNA, it's more about build. But I think uh, Amazon uh, is the only player in this space who may be, you know, after, like, depending on how New World does, I think they may think about like, hey, you know, we, we, we tried it. It was good. Like building, let's, let's just buy something. Mm-hmm. Because for all that money, you could just buy the company and then just go integrate it into the Amazon flywheel. I mean, that's the whole allure of Amazon, right? Is that everything else and, and plus Twitch, right? Like there's just yeah, so yeah. many assets to make it better. Uh, why not just, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe there's some corp dev numbers or, or math that doesn't work right for, for these acquisitions. Also on top of that, um, the acquisitions are just super pricey mm-hmm. because there's not that many targets out there that are making, like it just, it's becoming a lot more expensive to make games, just like it's becoming a lot more expensive to make high quality movies. So right. That can be a barrier to, to, to certain companies. And by the way, the people acquiring everyone just Epic Games. You know, they acquired <laughs> yeah. um, Psionics and uh, I think it's like Mediatonic or Tronic. Yeah. Or, the, the so, yeah. or, you know, it's either Epic or it's Tencent. And Tencent owns some of Epic. So actually, it all boils back to Tencent. <laughs> um, and Tencent owns everything, anyway. And Tencent owns. Right, too. Yeah, so so like, it, yeah, ten, ten, if anything, I think another, people know about them, but they're just so quiet that people sometimes forget about them. But Tencent, mm-hmm. has, they, they have their tentacles in, in all of gaming, I'd say, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is part of their strategy. So, mm-hmm. Okay, and then what gaming generally are you doing today? So, uh, you know, as I kind of mentioned, League of Legends, mm-hmm. uh, the next WoW patch or some, the WoW next expansion, I don't know if it came out or it's coming out soon, but I, I plan to play that as well. Um, 
for me, I like either competitive solo play, which is league, or it could be a group thing or, or just like a social experience, like, wow. So uh, those are the games I'm focused on. I also just try to make myself play a variety of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for example, actually, I dislike console games, but you kind of have to like try, the, you know, Zelda, you have to try... Uh, there's a sword fighting game. It doesn't call it like Sekiro or Sekiro. Um, Dark yeah. Souls type game. Because yeah. yeah, I play that game. That game is so incredibly difficult. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the thing. It's like it's just is it, you know what is a gamer? It just so it's so hard to define. Like there's just it's hundreds of millions of people. Maybe I'm billions. sorry, probably billions of people. Yeah. It's billions of people. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer a like one uh, demographic or definition. But I, I just I feel like you have to keep up with the industry, and, yeah. and that is playing games. Or that's what I tell my girlfriend at least. <laughs> that's a good excuse. You're doing research. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay, so you mentioned synthesis earlier. Mm-hmm. What is synthesis, and what is your involvement there? Synthesis is an education edtech startup focused on kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the current age range I think is like eight to 14, but it could, it could be younger, younger than that now. And I'll talk about the, what they do and then the history of, of, of it. So what they do is they, they teach, they, they essentially have a cohort based class uh, of kids and um, they, they learn for now through, through online games. Mm-hmm. When I say game, I don't mean like League of Legends. <laughs> yeah, at least. So what they have is their own proprietary games and they're they're web based, probably like HTML five or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, like teams are competing against each other, and, and it's super fascinating. It's not about the graphics; it's about like the thinking. And synthesis is about teaching kids how to think for themselves. So, and my role there is I'm a facilitator and an investor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, two parts to that. So, first, facilitator. Um, they chose that word carefully. So it's not like teacher. A teacher is like the source of knowledge. Facilitator is guiding the kids through this journey, which, which I really like because um, one, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I kind of want to stay, you know, in touch with what, what kids are what we're doing in terms of media technology. And then the other part is just, it's, it's, it's like super cool to work with kids. Like mm-hmm. they really are the future and they're, they're so smart. Uh, so I facilitate, uh, there's, I'm still in training, but soon mm-hmm. I'll have my own class where I facilitate, you know, uh, learning through games. And the other part of the story is when I was at Amazon, I was looking at what are interesting things that we could buy content from or potentially invest in. And I saw synthesis and I was like, wow, this is so cool. And you know, the funny thing is, and you probably would appreciate this as a VC, <laughs> it's like, the best companies, they don't want investment. Like they just, they already got it. And also, you know, for me, and I was like, just, I'm, I had the same feeling I had when I was raising money for the first time. Mm-hmm. So on this side, I'm trying to become oh, like a, you know, dabble in angel investing, but like your resume is okay, but people want more than that. They want like yeah. an audience. Right. So, um, I frankly couldn't offer anything to them, right? Like their, their investors are like the who's who list. Right, right. 
they they've all got like I think I think they're literally I think the CEO said a minimum like uh, most of their investors minimum threshold to even for him to uh, consider investments like 100k Twitter followers right mm-hmm. not the not the ultimate like the best measure of things but yeah. it's a good you know of, of what he's trying to accomplish which is to build more reach and my minor my tiny audience I, I wasn't there for the audience obviously so I said oh, you know what I will be a facilitator so that's how I'm going to provide value and I'm going to give you like you know I'm going to put time into this mm-hmm. like you know I, I think I've invested like um 20 30 hours into it it's only going to get more once I start teaching my own class and giving giving feedback so like y- you'll get my time and then what I'm what I plan to do is do more investments, especially if they do more community uh, fundraising, because I just believe in this company. So anything I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna get in more and more, even if it's like five thousand at a time. Screw it, I'll do it mm-hmm. uh, because I really believe um, in what they're trying to do, which is to really disrupt education, right? Because education really is so so much about memorization yeah. and um, even critiquing what I did myself at UCI. Um, it was innovative, but it's still like they're, they're, they're quizzes, they're, they're tests. And, uh, you know, it's still a little bit old school, even though it's online. Um, but anyways, another cool thing about synthesis is that as far as I understand, synthesis was part of a school called, I think, Ad Astra. And I, and that is a school that, uh, I believe Elon Musk is either a co-owner or investor in, but he, he essentially wanted a school at SpaceX so his kids can go learn. Yeah. So other SpaceX employee kids went there as well. And then now I think they've spun it out. It's no longer on SpaceX campus. It's somewhere in LA. And uh, Synthesis was like the online component of it. So they thought this was big enough to like scale to, to a variety of people. And, and, and that's like the origin story of, of Synthesis. I think the co-founder is the person who co-founded that school. Got it. So you also have a podcast. First of all, what is it called? And second, what is it about? So my podcast is called Craft. And we just wrapped up episode nine uh, last night. Mm -hmm. And our podcast is kind of funny. So it took us like nine episodes to really whittle down to what we really want to talk about. So I'll tell you how to, how we started and where we ended. So we started off just calling it the John and Veronica show. Veronica is <laughs> my co-host. Yeah. So we couldn't think about, you know, what the intent is, but we knew we wanted to talk about, or we knew what we didn't want to talk about. So we actually, it'll be funny to you, but we didn't want to talk about um, like CEOs, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, VCs, because there are just so many podcasts on that. I listen to a lot of them. So it's yeah. not about griping about them. I just feel like that market is saturated. Mm-hmm. So we thought, okay, what what is something that people would want to hear from us? So we thought, okay, what about mid-level managers from <laughs> entertainment media technology? Just because, you know, these industries are hot and people want, want to work in them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, even for me, before I got into the industry, I had no idea. Like, what's it like to be a marketing manager at Google? I have no idea. Like, yeah. what do they even do? No idea. So uh, so then we start recruiting our friends and start talking about it. But ultimately, our name now is just Craft. So, and that has been great in so many ways, frankly, because I'm learning. <laughs> well, that's number one. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, uh, it's my way to like learn a lot about topic every week. So uh, anyways, it's about craft and we do target people still in the general like media technology entertainment space, but we also have like a a scientist coming soon 
to talk about like cancer research. And now we're no longer, you know, VCs, VC is a craft as well. How do you like mm-hmm. to invest? So, so we're just about people who are like obsessed about topic. And our angle is we kind of interview people at different stages of their career. So we want to tag our videos like performance marketing, 20 years of experience, um, product management, five years of experience. So maybe just because people always want to compare like, hey, like, where should I be yeah. at this stage of my career? And um, eventually, hopefully we get people at different, you know, levels of or years of experience. But years, by the way, is not the ultimate gauge of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more complicated, but we're using that as some a template or a measure because we can't think of a better one. Uh, so that's what our podcast is about. And after we ship our 10th episode, then we're going to launch everything at once because we didn't want to give us our, give ourselves the pressure of uh, trying to figure out what to do and then maintain a weekly cadence. But yeah. once we have 10, we're like, okay, the system is down. We've got a producer. We have like a YouTube editor. Launch everything at once. Um, and also one other kind of tidbit is i just love content so i was head of content at amazon kids and and um you know i think playing video games is consuming content watching netflix yep. so i just love content and as you know social audio might be a little bit cooler now but <laughs> you know there was a whole there was a whole spike about social audio you know facebook's in it now i mean every, like it was funny like linkedin is in like every company discord's yeah. in it uh so so the show is also on clubhouse and you know and also part of that was like you know i want to write like a Substack post on like hey what do we learn trying to do this on clubhouse cold start like where do we get so i measured how many um audience we have as you can see i have a lot of things i want to do but i haven't done yet <laughs> crazy. so eventually i'll get and then also now i'm on this topic i want your opinion on something mm-hmm. um uh, maybe you think about because you know a lot of vcs including yourself uh you have to build an audience mm-hmm. uh right and, and like your, your niche audience so Podcast is one way, but writing is huge. I think yeah. for VCs because you write investment memos. So the, what I'm debating on, which this is a stupid debate, but it's just <laughs> an excuse to not start get started writing, is should I write on Substack or Medium? Because I have an audience of zero on Substack, <laughs> but I have ten thousand on Medium. But that was when I used to write a lot. So those those could be just like accounts that people no longer access, right? Yeah. Or should I just put out my own website? Um, I have no idea, but and I don't think it really matters. I should just get started and write and then <laughs> deal with it. But it's my excuse. So yeah, there it is. I would that's probably it. say medium just because that's what I think about as like the go-to. Um, yeah, yeah. I also have thought about and uh, people have encouraged me to blog as well. Right. right. Um, I haven't done it yet. I think I will, but you know, similar to you, it's a lot easier to say you're going to do something than do it. Um, Plus, you know, I really enjoy podcasting. So, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe at some point I'll supplement it with blogging. I I don't want to get into the uh, pressure though of regularly podcasting and regularly blogging. So if I just blogged, it would just be sort of like whenever I felt like blogging. That's, that's such a good point. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think maybe that's a good argument for Medium because Medium is just like one post, mm-hmm. whereas Substack, I think the intention is it's like a newsletter with a cadence. Yeah. So, and I don't want to get into cadence because I have to write a lot for work already. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You yeah. know, another thought I had was one of my biggest mistakes at Amazon was not maintaining my social presence or, or thought leadership externally. 
um, because first of all, I learned so much just by participating in things. Like the whole idea of even just like going to that Maven class was because I, I was just more active on Twitter in between my time at Amazon and Facebook. So, you know, while I'm at Facebook now, I'm definitely going to be a lot more active, just even like reading information on Twitter. I know people complain a lot about it, but man, I've learned so much from it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I discovered the class and, and, and a variety of things. So, um, yeah, I'm going to figure out what my stuff's going to be. Definitely is going to be the podcast. I've committed to it for a year, 52 yeah. episodes. Let's see how it works. Oh, you're um, doing weekly. Oh, that's a mistake. Tough. Yeah. That was, that's tough. so hard. Honestly, I, I, that's the other problem with me. I was like, I'm super ambitious. I'm like, yeah, let's do a weekly podcast. And then now that we're in it, we've got like two producers and there's lots of logistics, as you know, like there's yeah. just like editing. And then I have yeah. to, uh, I still like to review every episode. Yeah, me too. But then I, you know, but then you, you have to, uh, you know, you want to make it perfect. And you listen to it like two, three times. You kill like a whole hour. Yeah. But you have to find guests, like everything you have to go through. Right. And like, at least I have a smallish team to, to help me with it. Uh, but then, you know, since they work for free, I have to exchange value to them. So yeah, for them, yeah. it's like, okay, I'll help you network to get the job you want or right. uh, the internship you want, or, you know, it's like it, value exchange. But yeah, weekly is, I might have to just go to bi-weekly because weekly is, is tough. I, I knew right away <laughs> I was not going to do it yeah. weekly because it's just, it's a ton of work. Yeah. Um, okay. And then just to wrap things up, you know, as mm-hmm. a concluding question, you know, as you just, you know, continue to advance in your career and look mm-hmm. out the next few years, what are some of the bigger things that you want to accomplish? So the biggest debate I'm having in my career is um, essentially I love games. So I'll do whatever in games, whether it's a, a gaming company, a game developer, a tech, big tech firm, or my own startup. Uh, I think what I like right now at this stage in my life is working in gaming on big tech salary. So I think that's maybe the best of both worlds. But I would just say in general, besides Microsoft, big tech isn't necessarily like winning or, or like doing something so innovative in gaming just yet. Um, I would like to change that. I don't know if like, you know, one person can, can, can change all that or, or, or help influence it. But that's what I want to do. Something cool in gaming. Um, it's like kind of like a first world problem, right? Like every, you know, I, I love my job already. Everything's great. I could work at all these companies, but like, how can I do something that's just um, crazy, right? Um, but I won't use Facebook as an example. But like, if I working, if I was working at Netflix, it would be like, um, you know, uh, helping them come up with the strategy of should they get into game development, or maybe they license games, because I'm sure Netflix is big on mobile as well. But then it's like, okay, well, if they license games, then they probably can't be monetization because then Apple and Google, like it's all, it's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. It's, actually, it's, it's fascinating. It's like, a, it's like an intellectual problem um, uh, with like actual impact. So, uh, so yeah, ultimately trying to do something big. If not, um, I've always been thinking about, you know, what could I do uh, as a startup given my experiences with the esports team? I know it has to be software because... Otherwise, it's just fun, right? Fun is good, but a big part of doing a startup is either changing the world and ideally, you know, the economics have to be good for both yourself and the investors. So what is going to be big in gaming besides making a game? 
um, th there are things, there are things there for sure. So I'm thinking about that because I'm not sure if I'm going to be the best game maker. Um, that's not something I've actually done before. I'm more of just like on the product side or the publishing side. So at least I kind of like know my own limitations and where, where, where I think I'm good at. Um, so, so yeah, is, is there, maybe I was those, when I was at Amazon, I kept thinking about, you know, what, what if there's some kind of tech play, like uh, game services. And I see a couple of companies, startups out there, they're doing okay, frankly, because um, if you're successful, you build your own tech. You don't, you don't want to, the last thing you want is to let someone else get into a successful gaming company. So they kind of do it. Smaller companies will live without the, you know, quote unquote best tech, because if their game is fun, they'll hire the people to kind of go build that. So, so yeah, it could be just try to build a game um, or, or find like a co-founder who's like truly a great game designer and I can handle the business side. Um, but, but something, you know, I, I think definitely hungry to, to have some impact um, that's, you know, worthwhile. I think it, it also, it's also just like, you know, maybe for my ego, maybe it's just for, uh, it's kind of like intoxicating a bit. Like when I had my startup, I feel like we, we did some stuff that was innovative. It didn't work out, but, you know, we wanted to be the first, uh, League of Legends team or first esports team in North America that only had North American players. I think that play is like a multi-year investment. So we tried it for six months. It didn't really work out. And then, you know, our investor kind of backed out. But uh, we also were the first esports team and the only esports team to publish our salaries. So that's still online. No one else has ever done that. I think that was cool. Um, and I think I, I like kind of the innovative aspect of being an entrepreneur. Just got to figure out a way to not just make like a statement. That was more of a statement than like the, the full impact. The full impact would be, we kept our team for multiple years. We somehow expanded software and it became, we, we established a norm that people would show salaries. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> awesome, John. <laughs> Just that, no big deal. Just that. <laughs> like you have some uh, some huge things uh, in your future yeah. and, you know, I'll be rooting for you. Uh, and, you know, I just want to say thanks for taking the time.